0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransinc.com for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. This podcast is also brought to you by Direct. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at Agdirect.com
1: in the twenty-first century. Hard working people working hard for
0: Podcast Markets, this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs at Valley Transportation. Our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even go online and apply at AgDirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at AgDirect.com. Nailed it this week, Sean. Nailed it. Nailed it.
1: Well, um, uh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So hold on now. Three years, you know I was betting four, but you didn't three. That's good. You know
0: what? I'm a fast learner, Sean, so <laughs> it, it, just, it just keeps, it just comes, it's a surprise, you know You know what I'm saying?
1: Well, I, I am excited that uh, you've got yourself polished on that. That's great.
0: <laughs> Sean Hackett, who's Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and he's nice enough to come on a couple times a week to talk about what's going on in the market. So, Sean, there was a bit of fireworks yesterday in the outside markets. They had the Fed. We released their minutes talking about you know we're going to absolutely um, raise uh, interest rates and you know the markets went crazy they were down I don't know almost a thousand points I think for, there for a minute and bounced back up so uh, that's a uh, that's some volatility for you
1: geopolitical madness yeah um, is what it, and so the market always hates uncertainty it always gets frenetic when it doesn't know what's going to happen. Are they, are, is Russia going in or not going? If they do go in, how long, what are we going to do? How long is it going to be? Uh, you know, they're going to restrict wheat and corn exports because you know wheat and corn, or especially wheat was up strongly yesterday um, in a sea of red because of worries over supplies, not getting out of Ukraine. And so it's just a mess. So um, until that Uncertainty is resolved. We're going to have some markets that are going to be all driving a lot, right? For a while.
0: So that's my next. And then and
1: then, and then, and then, on top of it, the Fed's going to be raising rates, reducing right. some money supply, trying to, uh, you know, pop the uh, the bubble in real estate, the bubble in stocks, the bubble in inflation. They're trying to, they're trying to slow, trying to kind of slow this inflation engine down. Um, and so it, it's it's just a mess. It's a mess right now. Yep. So.
0: That was the next question I was going to ask. So now you start taking a look at what's going on in, especially the area where we're at. You know, Russia, Ukraine, those kind of areas. They pr- produce something like thirty percent of the world's wheat in that that's area. Um, you start messing around with some geopolitical stuff, and if Russia does go ahead and, and say we're going to take everything of you know east of the, the Dnieper River, and that's that's going we're going to do that, and that's going to be uh, plus Russia over there. Um, you would think you'd start seeing some pretty big run up. And we, we saw that yesterday, you know, we had, it was up, I think closed up by like around 20 and a half cents or something like that. Um, March wheat was up 24 and three quarters. I mean, so I finished out the day
1: between and eight. It was up. No. And it was up. It was big up on Friday on the same concern. Right. So it's had a pretty big two day move on, you know, the idea that maybe these wheat exports will be restricted. And, um, so yeah, wheat's definitely been a big beneficiary for sure. And
0: the, so. and the biggest mover in all that is, is, uh, March spring wheat. If you take a look at it, if yesterday it closed up almost nine fifty, so I mean you're looking at some big moves in wheat. If you start looking at wheat like this, how is that going to start playing into this into this uh, March uh, crop uh, mix report that comes out? I mean, you start thinking are more guys going to start taking a look at wheat and saying maybe I should plant some wheat with this with the way the inputs are?
1: Well, obviously spring wheat. You know, um, right? We need to. <laughs> Mm-hmm. With the with with catastrophically low crop we had last year, I mean, we need more acres. We need a better crop because we just had a terrible crop last year. So obviously, the higher spring wheat goes relative to competing markets, the more acres we're going to try to get planted if the weather will cooperate. So yeah, definitely it pencils out. Right. It, penciled, you know, it pencils out. So we're, that's something that, that we, it could be bearish the market as we approach March. And then, of course, it's, it's just watch the weather. Right. And will the weather allow that crop to get in the ground on time? Um, is it going to be delayed? And if it does get done on time, you know, do we have late season frost, all the things, you know, flooding? That will be a big determinant as to whether those extra acres uh, will matter or not. Um, but certainly, right now, it looks to me with the Russia uncertainty on top of blisteringly tight, high quality wheat supplies, the market definitely is trying to err on the side of caution and get a higher price just to make sure they go in the ground.
0: Yep. So. so, another thing I've been watching and paying attention to, and, and maybe you can shed some light on this corn and soybeans have been playing this push and pull game here a little bit. So, when it seems like when soybeans go down, corn goes up, and when corn goes um, up, soybeans go down, and we're getting this kind of a push and pull thing. Now, is, is, you, is that why, why do you think that's happening? What, what, is, uh, what are those two dynamics there that, that's causing that?
1: Well, remember. The Brazilian drought p- pattern that we've had has been mostly about soybean production being down in the south right. of Brazil. The big corn crop is the one they're planting now, so we don't ha- we don't even know what that's going to be like yet. You know, we, we that's what's going to move the corn market in Brazil. So so that's disproportionately bullish soybeans. Now in uh, in, in Argentina, you know, Argentina is a much bigger, more prolific producer of soybeans, bean oil, bean meal. They're big on corn, but it's much more of an issue for soybeans so when we have you know, we, we, we when we get the rains that we had in argentina it's much more bearish on the soybean market psychology than it is on the corn market psychology on top of it you know ukraine had a record corn crop apparently uh you know looking at the estimates and so they you know they're th- the third largest exporter of corn in the world so the, you know once again worrying about are all those supplies going to get out or are they going to be constricted for a while? So because of the weather phenomenon, uh, the yin and yang of weather being more pro- disproportionately impacting soybeans, and given that the Russia-Ukraine situation is more disproportionately impacting wheat and corn, and co- of course corn and wheat kind of go together, you're getting this yin and yang effect where you get these bifurcations where one goes up, one goes down, one goes down, one goes up, depending upon the mix of weather and geopolitical coming together at the same time. Gotcha. So.
0: All right, So, so lastly, I want to... You we'll know, talk about the protein market here. We I want to hit on kind of some of this cold weather that we've seen happen over the last two weeks. All right, cattle prices, um, they've been mixed the last couple of weeks, and we're talking some some pretty good volatility in, in those in those markets. We'll see some pretty decent runs up, and then we'll see some, some pretty big drop-offs as well. So that volatility in the cattle market is there for sure. So as you take a look at what's going on in the cattle market, what are your thoughts there?
1: Cattle is extremely sensitive. To bearish, bearish macro forces, especially the stock market. If you run a correlation chart of cattle on stock market big declines, um, it just always gets hit because yeah. the, the the market's view is that the stock market is a leading indicator of future economic activity, and be given that you know beef is a pretty high priced item for households if those are worried about jobs and the economy that, you know, what, what logic would say they're going to pull back on a high cost item like beef. Right. So, we so the was no, did not disappoint. On top of it, we had what was perceived to be a bearish cattle on feed report on Friday. Um, you know, they showed uh, cattle on feed and uh, placements a little higher than, than the estimates uh, were suggested. And, and so when you put, when you put those two things together, you know, it was a perfect day just to hit the, hit the market hard. But, Notice what happened at the end of the day, especially for feeder cattle. We rallied three points off the lows in like the last 10 minutes of trade. That's When you see that, that's a bullish market. That's a market that it was down all day, took all the hits, took all the selling. But then once the stock market started to turn and and, and the selling dried up, it immediately gave half the decline back at the very end of the day. They're saying there's good buying underneath this market, uh, Casey. Uh, I, I really thought that. Reversal at the end of the day Might have suggested that yesterday Might have been the low for the cattle trade for a while So
0: Okay Let's jump over and look at the hogs real quick Hogs had a pretty good day yesterday They were uh, About about 37 and a half cents And and They've been Kind of Again Same kind of concept You know They'll get hammered one day And they'll have a great day the next And it's kind of back and forth Back and forth Back and forth Tons and tons of volatility Looking at uh, the hog market What are your thoughts there?
1: Well you know, pork is always viewed as the, I, I don't want this to be derogatory, but the poor man's meat, right? I mean, it's, it's the meat that most, more people can afford because uh, it's a lower cost item for the for the household. So so when w- one's worried about economic concerns, if you're going to reduce your consumption of beef, you might increase your consumption of chicken and pork as a replacement because you're replacing a high cost for a lower cost. Um, on top of it, we know the pig numbers are low. Uh, we've not been rebuilding the herd. Um, you know and, and and that's keeping the market nervous um and, and bidders coming in so so overall we've been in this as you said correctly this back and forth trading uh, pattern and uh, but 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 hogs have never been as as sensitive to stock market gyrations to economic concerns as the cattle market has tended to be so so yesterday, you know conversely it was not that it was not as impacted it was less right. impacted and I still believe that the market is is um, uh, you know, it's it's priced in the lack of China's demand. It's priced in the lack of animal feeding units here in the U.S. So, what has to happen to tip the scale either up or down is you need to start building the herd, which it doesn't look like we're going to do uh, anytime soon, or we need to get China's demand to come back in, which I believe is going to happen starting in the second quarter. And I think that's where this market would eventually, you know, break out. If you look at the deferred contracts, Casey, like um, uh, June or july we are we are we are almost breaking out on the chart, and that 's exactly where I would expect Chinese demand to come in so I almost think that the that the trading of the hog futures is starting to tell you where the market is sensing when china 's going to come back in and why because they're they 're really starting to pump up those deferred contracts versus the nearby so
0: yep all right so now let 's jump over and talk about this weather pattern that we 're seeing right now and it's it 's hammering Europe and I left my door open last night, so the cold weather is just just a block away from my house. So it's not not too bad. But if you go north of me, four hours, my my air temperature right now is like 20. I know it's not it's warmer than that. It's uh, it's like 15, 16 degrees, something like that, right now. Maybe 20 degrees, something like that, and. Um, but you go four hours north, and you want to just put a negative number in front of that, a negative number sign in front of that, and it gets wicked cold really quick, and you don't have to go very far to get into that really cold, cold Arctic air. Um, then you go over to Europe and take a look what's going on over there, and southern, um, eastern Europe is just getting hammered by some cold weather. That Arctic cold air that you've been talking about is really starting to make its run south. So I guess talk about that a little bit.
1: We talked about it before that we've been dealing with this stretching of the polar vortex. I, I want to be very clear. This is, this is different than a sudden stratospheric warming event and a polar vortex event like what happened last February. It's very important to understand the distinction. The distinction is if, you, if, the, if the stratosphere really warms and displaces the cold air and you destabilize the vortex, a piece of the vortex actually breaks away and just lunges into the lower latitudes, and you literally get a polar vortex, Arctic air mass, on top of where it ought not to be. That's what happened last February. Right. That's not what we've seen this, this so far. What we've seen is that the polar vortex is, is getting stretched, and then it coils, and it's getting stretched, and it coils, and it's getting stretched. So we're getting a distorted polar vortex, and every time it gets distorted, it's pushing this cold air down. But it's not a polar vortex event, it's a stretching of the polar vortex. And that is a function of the quasi biennial oscillation being the most negative, second most negative since 1950, which is really high easterly stratospheric winds that blow against the jet stream and destabilize, consistently stabilize the polar vortex. Now, it doesn't mean, by the way, we're not going to get a sudden stratospheric warming polar vortex event it just means that we've been dealing with this persistent stretching and we're going to and we've we've had two in january and another one is coming next week in fact it looks like it's going to stretch even further than we've seen the last two we're going to have we have frost warnings serious frost warnings here in florida this coming weekend in the citrus belt it looks like it could be below 28 degrees in central florida we uh, you know where, they, where the citrus is grown. and so that's the function of this stretching, this extra stretch in the polar vortex this time around that's undulating this air further into the southeast because it pretty you don't get that kind of air in Florida very often. That's a pretty good push. In fact, I have I think the last time it happened, if I recall was two thousand ten that we had something like that come down this far. So
0: yep.
1: so that's what's going on. And we don't really see that pattern changing. Uh, you know, we think it's gonna to continue to go back and forth. The only thing is, can we get a a, a, a southern stratospheric warming event that produces one of these crazy two to three-week periods of I mean, we had some really cold air in it'll, it'll, you know, and even a lot of places, record but like cycle cold air like last year. I think we will. My if I had to guess just looking at the pattern, probably late February into the into middle March is probably where I think we could develop. One of those, and that would really, you know, set the market off because that would be a late winter polar vortex, and really, you know, produce the kind of heating degree days that you don't normally see in the month of March, which we expect to be very cold. So, it's been an, it's it's been a different winter, uh, obviously than last year, and it, and, and uh, <clears throat> this um the stretching of the polar vortex is something that is a, that you only will get if you have amplified La Nina. Negative QBO, low solar. And we have those three conditions that provides this uh, this unusual behavior of stretching of the polar vortex. It's uh, it's an interesting feature. And the, and the reason why, you know, Eastern Europe and, and parts of Russia, because when, when you elongate it, it's here. And on the opposite side of the Northern Hemisphere, they're getting the stretch, too. So it's th- those two areas that are getting the stretch, just like you mentioned. So it, yep. it fits why that's happening exactly the way that it is. Yep. So.
0: And it's... uh. Especially if you look at like the northeast part of the United States, basically from Virginia north, it's been it's been a very cold winter over there, and it kind of goes back to the natural gas thing that we've talked about here before, and heating oils and those kind of things. There there's a lot of uh, a lot of demand for that right now, and and it's just like you we see in the marketplace. I mean, it's just driving the prices up.
1: Well, and right now, I mean, there's, they also had a lot a lot of snow in, on the mm-hmm. eastern seaboard, uh, in the northeast, and. You know, that whole eastern quadrant, got, and it looks like another major snowstorm is coming up the northeast. Looking at potentially one to three feet of snow anywhere from New York to Boston up to Maine. Uh, you know, just big time, big time nor'easter snowstorm uh, that's going to dump a tremendous amount of snow uh, on top of what happened to the Carolinas and all the last go around. Right. So, yeah, but it's um, it is a central east based focus, and you're. Right on the western edge, I mean, you're just missing the fun um, of all of that right now. And it doesn't mean you won't get some. It just means right now the pattern is just, as you said, just to the east of you right now.
0: Well, I'm still holding out for a late March blizzard. You can't you can't live out here and not have one of those, so <laughs> a little, I'm I th- sure that I happen. actually
1: yeah. I actually do think March will get that. I think we're going to be moving the air mass a little more central-based in March, and you're going to get everything Everything you, you want to, you, you can get your, uh, your, your skis out and, um, mm. you know, do some cross-country skiing. So.
0: Well, I'm excited. I can't wait. I mean, I'll tell you what. <laughs> we, need, we need some moisture, though, so I guess if we get snowed in for a day or two, get some moisture out of the deal, it be all right, I guess.
1: Sure.
0: All right, Sean, good stuff as usual. Folks I want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that?
1: The website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T. Advisors.com, we go over a lot of things about how we do our weather, our forecasting, to see if we could be of help to your listeners.
0: Right on. And I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So you find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast, also go to Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving Iron related. Also check out um, the information there on about the Moving Iron Summit coming up in Nashville, Tennessee. If you're looking for more information about that, send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at MovingIronPodcast.com. And I'll be happy to answer any questions you have. That'll be September 6th, 7th, and 8th at the Hilton downtown there in Nashville. So looking forward to that. Sean's going to be there, and he's going to be talking about what's going on in uh, the weather as we take a look there and how that's going to affect the markets up coming up. So, Sean, looking forward to that.
1: El Nino, El Nino, El Nino, and El Nino. That's what we're going to be talking about. Outstanding. (laughs) Can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) It it will be a completely different presentation with different uh, weather variables and different uh, impacts. Uh, So, um, you know, it'll be nothing like the ones we've been doing for the last few years, which have been more La Nina centric. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So it'll be good. It'll be important. And it'll, it'll really be, uh, uh, you know, give a different uh, look on what crops and what production areas and what places in the world are going to be more impacted than not.
0: Right on. Well, Sean, appreciate you being on the podcast, man.
1: Thanks, Casey. Really appreciate. Look forward to Thursday with, once again, a polished intro.
0: That's right. That's right. We are going to polish that sucker up. Even I mean, next time I'll probably blow your mind. So I hope you're ready for that.
1: <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> All right, man.
0: All right. Well, with that, I'm Casey Seymour, Sean Haggett. Let's go to some more folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful, competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley has over 33 years in the trucking business, moving ag and construction equipment across the country. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. For more information, go to valleytransinc.com or give Parker a call at 800-657-4910.
1: This podcast is also brought to you by
0: AgDirect. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your
1: financing options at agdirect.com.